Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. Um, Whether you're here in person or whether you're at home online or wherever online, we're glad you're with us. Uh, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. Uh, A couple of summers ago, I I had the privilege of going to Turkey and visiting some mission partners from our church uh, in in an area called Cappadocia. It was the area where uh, the early church had a lot of strong churches and and big influence and some some very influential uh, theologians over the years. Uh, but now, of course, uh, their, the Christian presence is very limited. But you see evidence of, of the Christian presence all over the place. Uh, uh, different uh, buildings or churches caved into, carved into the rock and the caves and, and, and art and frescoes and all sorts of things. And, 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 there, and in a couple of places, something that was you can't see uh, above ground are these underground cities. I had the chance to tour one of these underground cities. Uh, it, it kind of dated from just before Christ, and then it was kind of used by the Christians a few centuries after Christ when, when uh, different enemies or marauders would come into the area, and the Christians would go in there and hang out for a couple of months or more just to stay away from those who are above ground. And uh, I had a chance to tour it, and it's kind of cool. They carved this into the, all just carved into this volcanic rock, uh, went down about 75 meters, or so, and there were three different levels. So it was like the reverse of a three, three uh, story house, only much deeper and, and taller. Uh, and there are all sorts of rooms. Uh, you know, it's a place for stable for animals. Uh, there was a small little garden. Uh, there were light shafts. There were wells for water. Uh, there was a vineyard, uh, kind of where they do wine press. Um, there were uh, churches, little, little uh, prayer chapels, cemeteries, places where they could sleep, all sorts of things. A very cool and interesting place. The tour guide said that the city could hold up to 3,000 people at one time. Just mind-boggling to think about that. Well, back when it was first used, uh, torches were long-burning oil-covered rags that they would use to light people, the passages around this underground city. Of course, now they don't use that. They use battery-operated lights, uh, and it's not too dark. I mean, there are points where you kind of have to squint, but it's never total darkness, so you feel pretty safe and comfortable down there. But there was one segment the tour guide warned us about and she said that uh, if you want to do this, let's do it. But if you don't want to, you can hang back and wait for us. And, and, and what it was about was you would go down this, this tunnel, and it was pretty narrow. I mean, I, I could barely fit. And then I had to bend down like this. And you went down, oh, for maybe 30 or 40 meters and in steps. Uh, and it was hard to see, and there were no lights in there. And she said, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But if you're going to do it, go slow and use your cell phone to kind of light your path which is what, uh, what, what we did. And we got to the bottom. There's a small room, and it was about enough room for maybe a dozen people, and there were about 10 or 11 of us, so there wasn't a lot of room. You could kind of, if I extended my arm at all, I was going to bump into somebody. It was dark, really pitch black. So turn off your lights. It was pitch black. And you could tell some people were getting a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, maybe those who are a little bit claustrophobic, and so they were ready to head back up, you know, up to the area where it's light, lighted. And uh, they wanted to get in the front, and so you could see as they got towards the top, they just started to relax and take a deep breath as they saw the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, light is not just a symbol of hope that beckons us to the end of a dark tunnel. Light is absolutely essential for life as we know it as human beings. The very first thing we read in the Bible that God says in the second verse of the whole Bible is God says, let there be light. After God says this, all of life is created. Plants, animals, birds, fish, and yes, human beings. Light is 
essential for us to have life as we know it. For example, plants use light to generate food. Uh, Without light, the plants would die. Without plants, we would die because of all this unprocessed carbon dioxide. We, we need light for physical and mental and emotional help. It affects our, our, our moods. Some people, if they live in an area where there's less sunlight or they live in an area where it's kind of gloomy and dark and rainy all the time, they can begin to get seasonal depression. You know, it's nothing like a sunny day, bright blue sky, sunny day uh, to, to lift our spirits, is there? Light provides warmth. Light helps regulate our sleep cycle. Light energizes us. Scientists have even discovered how to use light that we can't see like UV rays, to disinfect and to clean and to kill bacteria and germs and and viruses. God designed us and our world to need light and to thrive in the light. Uh, Last Sunday, a week ago, Pastor West kicked off our Advent Sermon Series, The Waiting Room. Uh, Just a real quick recap, if you weren't with us. Uh, The general idea is is that uh, life is a lot of it's about waiting. And none of us like to wait. I don't like to wait at the DMV when I'm getting my license renewed. I don't like to wait at the the courthouse when I'm getting my car tags. I don't like to wait at the doctor's office or at Walmart in line. We don't especially like to wait for resolution in a relationship that's been strained. We don't like to wait for a promotion or recognition at work. And we do not like to wait for relief from pain. Well, Wes took this idea of, of the waiting room and he looked at two people in the, in the New Testament, Anna and Simeon, who had been waiting a very long time. Two older, faithful Jewish people who had been waiting and yearning and watching and going to the temple and looking, waiting to see and meet the Messiah. And they did one day. Finally, in Luke 2, they met the Messiah in the form of the newborn baby, Jesus Christ. So they were used to waiting. There was a lot of waiting for them. Well, today we're going to go back into the waiting room, but this time we're going to go back 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Back to a time where there was a king named Ahaz and a prophet named Isaiah. And it was a very dark time in the nation's history, and it's getting darker. And Ahaz, the king, uh, he's looking around, he's looking to the side, he's looking behind, he's looking ahead, and, and he sees no light at the end of the tunnel. It's getting dark. It's dreary. It's intimidating. And it's just getting darker and darker, and he begins to lose hope. Now, before we pick it up in chapter 9, I'm going to read that in just a minute, a bit of context. Ahaz was the king of Judah. Now, remember, the people of Israel, at one point, the people of God, broke into two nations. Uh, There were the ten tribes to the north called Israel, the two tribes to the south called Judah, and that's where Jerusalem was. And Ahaz, he is the king of Judah. And we're told that when he becomes king of Judah, he's 20 years old, 20 years old. Do you remember what it was like to be 20 years old? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm 20 or I'm almost 20 or just turned 20. Maybe you remember that. But for a lot of us, that's many years ago. And and I remember it was great to be 20. You're younger, you're stronger, you you have more hair, the future's ahead of you. uh, You still have so much to look forward to, dreams, things you want to experience and learn. But I cannot imagine being in charge of a nation responsible for hundreds of thousands of people and their lives at the age of 20. But that's where Ahaz finds himself. And he came to the throne at a terrible time. He looks to the north and in Syria and Israel, 
they're plotting against him. They're coming together in a coalition. Uh, apparently, they probably thought, hey, this is a new guy. He's 20. He's inexperienced. He's insecure. He's not, his power isn't stabilized and secured. So let's knock him out of there. And let's install somebody who is more favorable to us. We can kind of, who can be their, the puppeteer, you know. Or, or, and, and, he th- and that's bad. But he looks to the east, and it's even worse because there's a nation of Assyria. They're the superpower of that time. And, and the Assyrian, they're, they're the bully of the region. And their armies are bigger and stronger and fiercer and meaner. And, and they're threatening. So he looks around, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There aren't any options, he doesn't think. And, and so he asks for advice. He gets advice from some prophets. He gets some advice from some of his leaders. He kind of puts his thinking cap on, and, and he kind of feels like the only option I have here Despite some of the advice he gets, he says, the only option I have here is I'm going to ask the Assyrians for help. I'm going to go to the biggest and baddest bullies and say, hey, can you help me against these people? And they're going to say, well, what's in it for us? And so he pays an exorbitant fee, basically bankrupts himself and the nation. And even worse, he loses his sovereignty and his freedom. He becomes a puppet king for the Assyrians. He ignores the advice of the prophets, and he plunges his people into an even darker time. But in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the darkness, there's still a light at the end of the tunnel because God sends his prophet Isaiah to Ahaz to deliver a message. And the message is, Ahaz, even though you and the people have rejected me, I have not rejected you. Even though you and the people have compromised and lack faith, I have a plan. And that plan is to eventually bless you and to, and to save you and to redeem you. Now, what would that plan involve? I'm sure Ahaz was hoping for an army of angels sent to wipe out the Syrians and the Syrians and the Israelites. Or, or maybe a, a miracle of nature like an earthquake or a fire from heaven to decimate them. Or maybe a great but flawed military leader like Samson or, or, or David who would lead them to victory didn't involve any of that. God's plan instead involved them having to accept and suffer the consequences of their choices and rebellion. It involved God's grace in the midst of the suffering. He doesn't abandon them completely. And it's going to involve a lot of waiting. Doesn't sound like a real exciting plan. But that's not all that the plan entails. Uh, because the centerpiece of, of God's plan, the, the, the hinge point of God's plan, well, let's take a look and see what it's about. Because uh, Isaiah comes to Ahaz in chapter 7 and says, hey, God is with you. Even though you're going to suffer some consequences for what you've done, God is with you. Trust him. And to show you that he is with you, Ahaz, ask for a sign for God and he'll give it to you. Ahaz won't do it. So God says, okay, Isaiah, tell Ahaz, I'm going to give him a sign myself. And we read this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So God's plan, the centerpiece of his plan is a baby. A helpless, newborn baby. Emmanuel, God with us. And this prophecy was recorded 700 years before Christ came on the scene. Uh, we, we see Matthew uh, reference it and apply it to Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 when he talks about the birth of Jesus to Mary and Joseph. 
God with us. God with us. So what, what does that mean? What does it have to do with darkness and all that stuff? Jesus is the light at the end of the tunnel. No matter how dark our situation, no matter how hopeless it might feel or be, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our lifeline. Jesus is our Savior. And in the midst of the darkness, whatever we're facing, no matter how dark it might be, even if it's of our own making or not, Jesus is God's loud and clear message to us that he loves us, that he's for us, that he's with us, that he's not abandoned us, that he's there for us. Listen to how Isaiah in chapter 9 describes who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. Chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, who is Midian? What's Midian? Gideon, 300 men defeat Midian in the Old Testament and Judges. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burns them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. So what's, what's he talking about, this burning boots and warrior's clothes and things being broken? What's he talking about? Isaiah is pointing to a time when a great light is going to appear and when peace will reign and there will be no more need for any sort of warrior's accoutrements. They don't need the shields. They won't need the spears. They won't need the boots. They won't need the the clothes because they're going to be at peace with each other and they'll be at peace with God. And there's more. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's break this down. Prince, or excuse me, Wonderful Counselor. Now, who doesn't need good counsel once in a while? I've, I've counseled sometimes. Hopefully, sometimes it's been good counsel. I've received counseling at times. And it seems to me that there's a few things that a good counselor, all good counselors must, must be about. One is they must tell you the truth. They must tell you the truth about yourself, about your life, about your relationships, about the people around you. They must tell you the truth. Hopefully they also tell you the truth about God. A good counselor also understands. They emphasize, empathize. They they listen well, and, and you know and believe and con- are convinced that they're tracking with you, that their heart is with you. They understand. A good counselor helps you overcome. They help you have breakthroughs and insights into why you do what you do or who you are or, or perspective or whatever it might be. A good counselor does that. They help you have breakthroughs and, and have a better, healthier, more fulfilled, more purposeful life. That's what Jesus does. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. What, what is that about? Mighty, mighty God. Now, you know, there, there are times in our lives when it's nice to have the biggest, baddest, strongest dude next to you, right? Well, I think that speaks true for us in life. We, we need the biggest, the strongest 
the best, the most perfect person on our side when we're facing our enemies. And that's Jesus. Jesus is, is God himself. Jesus was there at the beginning. John 1 tells us that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus took on humanity's biggest and most powerful enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And Jesus won the victory for us. And with God, nothing is impossible. No situation is too dark. Everlasting Father. Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is eternal. In a world that's constantly changing, Jesus is the one constant that we can count on, that we can depend upon. He is not fickle. He doesn't, he doesn't fade. He doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we could use more peace in our lives. We could use more peace in our world. We could certainly use more peace in our, our nation. And Jesus came to tear down the walls that exist between people. To bring peace and unity. Jesus came to make it possible to have peace with God by giving his life as a sacrifice for our sins. For this and so much more about who Jesus is and and what he does and what he will do and what he is doing, we have so much reason to hope. Now, 2020 has been a rough and tough year. It's been pretty dark in the world. It's been pretty dark in our country. It's seemingly fairly dark in our area of the world. And a lot of people are feeling frustrated or scared or worried or angry, uh, maybe bitter about what they're losing or, or, or off balance or depressed in the midst of the darkness. We must remember that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. There's a light and it shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot and will not overcome it. So I'm going to give you four quick takeaways, uh, things that hopefully you can kind of hang things on. And the first, in the midst of darkness, worship. God has created you and me for a relationship with him. And worship is the, is, the, is the fuel that feeds that relationship, that grows that relationship, that, that sustains that relationship. Whether we worship in person, whether we worship at home, online, whether we worship as we're walking through God's creation and thinking and praying or or humming or listening to music. In worship, God moves and he strengthens us and he lifts us. Number two takeaway, in the midst of darkness, seek community. God has created us in his image. That means that we are created for intimate, close, transparent, honest, supportive, encouraging relationships Sort of like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three but one, one but three. Now we can't approximate that, but the point is we are created to do life together, especially when it's dark and tough. You know, when I go for a long hike in the mountains, it's always better and easier when there's somebody along with me. Especially when it's rough, tough, dangerous, or getting dark. Takeaway three, in the midst of darkness, lean on God's promises. God has created us so that we function best when we walk in obedience and when we walk in faith. When we trust God, when we are not only hearers, but doers of his word. 
And, and the fourth takeaway, in the midst of darkness, turn your eyes to Jesus. Focus on him. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look to him, the light of the world, and he will illuminate. He will direct your path. In the beginning, in the middle, in the end, wherever you are in your journey, whether it's really dark or maybe getting a little bit lighter or whatever it might be, it's all about Jesus. He is the light at the end of the tunnel. He is the light of the world. We're going to watch a video now from Penny Beans. It's a, she's a, a lady from our church, and she's sharing her story of, of her journey uh, through a difficult and, and dark period. Let's take, a, let's take a watch of this now. Hi, my name is Penny Beans, and I've been coming to First Covenant Church since 2000. Today I want to share with you my testimony about how God has been working in my life this year. It started in January when I had the stomach flu, and as I was um, getting sick, I pulled a muscle in my lower back, and it caused extreme internal and external pain, and it began to really interfere with my ability to have valve movements. So I started going to doctors here in Salina. After exhausting everything I could hear, I went on to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, hoping to find the answer. And after all the specialized treatments and procedures, uh, all they could tell me was that I was a complicated case. And of course, I was just devastated. I was really hoping for an answer and for a cure. By that time, I had really you know, found myself with a lot of medical debt and I wasn't able to work because of the pain that I was in, you know, constantly. At one point, I was having to take uh, stimulants and muscle relaxers and antidepressants and um, medication for nerve pain, as well as sleepage, just, just to get by each day. Where I once was hopeful was replaced with just deep depression and despair. I didn't know what to do, what was going to happen. And as um, I began to think on that, I began to wish, I began to wish I was dead. I, I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to face living the rest of my life the way I was feeling with pain. And um, my sister at one point thought it was important to compile a list of names, a suicide uh, watch and so they would call and check in on me and make sure I was doing okay or how I was doing you know each day you know while I felt like I was abandoned and alone because I prayed and prayed and I didn't hear anything I heard nothing and that there was a point that I couldn't even pray anymore I was just I was just done and I didn't want to hear anybody talk to me about God I, I was uh, felt so alone I felt so abandoned and betrayed but even though I felt like that, God was working. God's always working. Even though we don't feel it or see it, he's always working. He proved that and showed that. As I look back, I can see that he brought so many people into my life to uh, stand in the gap for me to pray, to pray for me when I could no longer do it. Um, they brought meals. They just came over and sat with me, and they just let me cry and express um, my fear, my anger, my sense of abandonment. They sent literature so that I had, 
you know, uplifting and inspirational um, things to to read. They just they just sat there and they just listened to me. They didn't judge me, even though I was telling them, uh, you know, at times I don't want to live anymore. They didn't judge me, and I'm so thankful. It was a struggle. It was a struggle for weeks and weeks and weeks and. You know, which added up to nearly five months. There was one point, though, um, in June, I felt good enough to come to church, and so I did. So I was singing the praise, the praise song. Um, it was as if God had just breathed a fresh breath of His Spirit into mine. It was just so um, freeing. I could just feel. All the burden that I had been carrying just began to to melt, and I began to cry as my tears began to fall, and my hands began to raise and surrender. I just felt completely free, and I'm not saying that I was instantly healed. I am saying that at that moment, spiritually and emotionally, I was free. I felt a lightness, and I felt joy that. Only God can give. Over time, my physical uh, ailments began to fade, and I was uh, able to go back to work. And they were willing to place me into a position that was a whole lot uh, less strenuous on my body. I was able to wean myself off of all the medications that I had once had to take. And so, little by little, I was able to wean myself off of each and every one of those, and only by the grace of God. It wasn't my doing; it was only by the grace of God. I'm just very thankful. As I began to improve my, uh, you know, physically, my my love for the mornings, for the sunrise, began to return, along with the passion to take pictures of them. And so I got out there. I started taking pictures of the sunrises and the sunsets, and you know anything I could, anything I could capture. And after doing that for several weeks,、um, I was going over some of my favorite photos, and a scripture came to mind:、uh, "The heavens will glorify God's name." And at that moment, it was as if I sensed God ask me and say, "And how much more do I want my children?" To glorify me, Penny, and at that, that that moment, I knew I was supposed to give、uh, my testimony and tell you how gracious God is and、um, how merciful He is. I just want to say that there might、um, there might be someone right now that's going through a situation that you just can't fix. What you can do is you can sit with them and just and just be there and listen to them and hear them. You can invite them over to your home so they don't feel like they're alone. Because when you're going through a trial that you have no control over, it is very lonely. It is very lonely. You can、um, send them cards. You can send them scriptures. There's a lot of things you can do when someone's going through something that's bigger than them, bigger than us. You know, we were not meant to do life alone. You know, and God, God、um, promises. He promises to.、Um, Never leave us or forsake us. He promises that he will leave the 99 to find and to rescue that one, and he also promises that when we walk through the waters, that he will be with us, and when we walk through the rivers, that they will not sweep over us, and when we go through the fires, 
they will not burn us. We will not be set ablaze. Thank you.